just making sure, because uh, that can cause you problems. If you, you'll give four extra times a year if you don't know that. So um, our pastors in India, we've obviously been talking to them. They, uh, the coronavirus is just now getting kind of into India and getting specifically into the rural areas. So uh, be praying for them. It's, um, it's, it's not majorly different than it is here. Statistically, it's still uh, fairly low that, that this is fatal for anybody. Um, but they're, they're dealing with it, and there's people are, the younger people are coming from the cities back to their villages because they're, they can't get work. And uh, that's causing probably the biggest problems there, I would, I would think. And I'd be praying for uh, one, of the, one of the newest converts there. He's been saved about a month. Um, his name is Budith. That means electricity. Uh, that's how I know. I always tell him I'm praying for electricity. But uh, just be praying for him. They're really seeing potential. He lives in one of the villages that's nearest to, the, to our, our facility, our building there. So be praying for him. They really think that he is going to be very influential in being able to reach uh, many people in that village. Uh, the villages are, 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 well, I was about to say they're easier to reach, but that's not true. I think once you break the walls down, they're easier to reach. Um, but they're not easier at first because of all the animism and, and, um, and Islam and Hinduism that are happening in the villages. So, And if you want to continue to give toward India, any of the stuff we're doing there, the building is basically almost finished. Uh, that we, the coronavirus stopped it, so we, we have been waiting for the builder to be able to come back and do the stuff. That it, it's just some finishing stuff, finishing up tiles and some things like that. But uh, we're still we're still paying all of the stuff. We're still paying for the salaries and all that kind of thing. So if you want to give toward our our two pastors and our church in India, let us know. You can you can call and talk to the office. Any of those kind of things. And also, all of the videos that we're showing about our app, those are going to be online. You can go and check them out. But if you're, if you're confused and you're saying, I would like to set up a reoccurring giving or something through the app, uh, it's actually the way she did is very simple. Um, I did it this week just to make sure that it, was, it, it, it is truly simple. But if you ever get stuck on that, just call the office. Uh, somebody here will help you with whatever you need, figuring out how to register for something or... And it's best, it's best it don't just say, well, I won't do it, I'll, I'll do it the old way. Uh, it's easier to use this long term, so call somebody, walk through it a few times, and you should be able to know. I, I, one other thing I did want to mention, too, I did get hacked again this week in my email. I don't know. If I ever send you an email that asks for something, don't give it to me. I, I don't do that. I don't ask people for things, um, and I definitely don't ask you for gift cards, so, um, so don't, if you ever get an email from anybody asking for gift cards, don't do that, okay? You guys know this, right? Don't, okay, I would hope you, I would, hope you would know this. Um, and, and I very rarely call myself Reverend Dr. Scott, okay? So, <laughs> just so, just so you know. Um, so, uh, so this is Father's Day. You, you know, I did want to mention something else. This, I, these, these are the little things I like to throw out about marriage that will, um, I don't know, benefit you, help you along the way. Uh, when, you, when you finish talking on the, your cellular device, when you finish talking on your phone, what do you do? You turn it off. This seems simple, right? There's a big red button at the bottom. You just push that. My wife does not do this. She does not push the red button. 
It's a simple procedure, but you don't push, she doesn't push the, I'm talking right now. So, so nowadays, I used to just get irritated, and I, but nowadays I just leave it sitting on my desk or wherever, and I just yell at it until she hears a voice calling her from the great beyond. But I, I just leave it because I, I, this is the way I'm looking at it. I think I can wait her out. Um, but we sometimes we're on the phone 15 extra minutes, me just listening to her talking to people in her office, hanging out, doing those kind of things. So I just want to, this is just a little marriage thing. Just turn your phone off. Just, all right. Genesis chapter 25. I'm going to be talking about uh, fathers, Father's Day. Um, I, I love Father's Day. Uh, I love that, I love Father's Day more when, when the kids are little. I mean, I, I like it all the time, but I love it when kids are little because they do some of the strangest things and give you strange things and and um, I remember one time, this was when the kids were really young. Jonathan went through this, our oldest went through this phase, where he wanted to cook, all the time he wanted to cook. So Father's Day, he, he made me um, breakfast and stuff, and it, and it was like more stuff than breakfast. And, uh, and to me, that's like, those are like the coolest gifts you ever get, right? Those are the Father's Day gifts that forever you're thinking, this, this is amazing. Um, you get something like a... Um, a tie when they're mid-teenagers because mom goes and buys and they don't care anymore. But, um, but I do think it's pretty cool. Uh, Linda told me, she said, I got you something for Father's Day. She, was, she, was, she said she was going to give it to me this morning or something, but on the way to her, she said, I forgot to give it to you. Um, but you need to know that it is from uh, Isaac and Emily and Amanda also. You know what that means? Isaac, Emily, and Amanda did not give me anything for Father's Day. That's what that means. You don't hear any denials over on this side, do you? So, but I like Father's Day. There's just something about it because I'm a father. There's just something about it that kind of you encapsulate things. And for me, I don't know, some of you guys, maybe you're different. And you're probably in a different place of life, so this will be different. But you think, you think back to when your kids are little. You, that, that's the way I always think about that. Uh, when you're f- fathering of adults is very, very different than fathering children. And, and the idea of the children, there's like this ongoing constant responsibility thing. Um, I do believe it's easier, by the way. If you're a father of a younger child, I think it's easier to, to parent children as it is to parent adults. Uh, it, it just, it's just easier, Right. You, you, you're hearing so many mans because those are people with children that are adults. Um, when, when, when the kids are still little, you don't necessarily know because you don't have anything to reference them from. It's just more tiring when your children are younger. It's, um, you can be up and down easier emotionally and things like that. It's more time-consuming. There's a lot of, it's like a hands-on, all the time, hands-on, all the time, hands-on kind of thing. Um, specifically when they start doing extracurricular stuff and school and things. I, I remember when, when um, Jonathan got his driver's license, this was like a breath of fresh air for Lynn and I because we didn't have to take the kids half the places. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's not that you don't love your children and want to be involved in every little thing they do, but you don't have to. And so all of a sudden you're like, you know what, I need something from the store. And the kids are like, I would love to go. Okay, go. Take the kids with you. Take all the children in the house to get a gallon of milk. Take them all. 
But uh, there is, there is um, there's just something about the Father's Day. So here's the thing that all of us, fathers, some of you are younger fathers, older fathers, some of you are really, really old, some of you are like peeking into the grave. There's, uh, there's fathers of every age in this room. Here's the thing that I know. You never stop being a father. You never, t- you never stop having to take that responsibility, own that responsibility, do all this stuff with it. And, um, and, and, there, and it's the, I believe that's the biggest responsibility a guy ever gets is to be a father. That is the biggest responsibility. It's, it's more important than any job they'll ever have. It's, it's uh, more important than any uh, place they'll ever live. Any of these kind of things being a father. In fact, when I look back over, you know, you do these things every now and then you say, if you could change one, if you could go back in your, history, in your past and change one thing or whatever, then hands down, the things that I would change in life have nothing to do with being the pastor of a church. Um, there, there would be a few that would fall into the category of marriage that I would, that I, I'm saying for me, not, I'm not picking on Linda, uh, that I would go back and change. But, but almost everything that I would say, category that I would go back and change, would be uh, as a father. It's, it's not my, it's not all the other things that we take so seriously and, and such a big kind of responsibility mentality in society. I've, t- I've had that conversation with people and they're like, well, I'd go back and I'd do this different with my business. I would do, I would do to me, now this is just me, I don't understand that. I, I really don't understand that. You, th- those things are just what they are. I, I've never sat with somebody on their deathbed and they say, I wish I had spent more time at work. Nobody ever says that. I wish I would, I wish I would have invested better. People don't say that. This, the, and, I, and I've seen this 50 times over the years. People will always say, I wish I'd have spent more time with my family. I wish I'd have spent more time with my kids. That, that's the reality, guys. And, and so specifically for some of you that are younger, don't, don't take that for granted. Your, your kids are here today, gone tomorrow kind of mentality. They, they grow up so quickly. You don't think they do when they're five, but they do. And then they're gone, and then, then they have children that are five. Spend the time. Spend the energy. Take the extra few minutes here. Read the extra story. Play the extra game. I, I had the brief moment of going a couple weeks ago down to see my granddaughter. Um, I, I, I wish I was around her all the time, but I can't be. And so whatever she wanted to do, I did. I didn't care what it was. We washed dishes sometimes for 30 minutes, little plastic dishes. It was wonderful. I loved it. Those were clean dishes. I'm good at it. Um, she did start realizing, though, she's, uh, she was um, one particular point. She realized that honey wasn't going to do, honey is Linda. Honey wasn't going to do everything Papa was. Papa's funner. She's starting to realize that, which I'm working at. And then she realized mom and dad are not even as fun as honey. And so they, all three of them had told her, don't go into the kitchen. Because she goes in the kitchen, she opens the refrigerator, climbs up into the refrigerator, and just eats stuff. And apparently her parents don't want her to live. I don't know why they keep telling her to get out of the refrigerator. But so they told her, don't, don't, don't. And I'm sitting on the couch, and she comes around the side of the love seat, and she gets me, and I'm the only one. Everybody else is facing this way. She can see me, and she looks around the side of the couch, and she says, And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> so I'm going to give you some examples of fathers this morning. I'm going to give you good examples, bad examples. Uh, pay attention in life because you're going to see good examples and bad examples around you all the time. And sometimes 
what you're seeing is you're seeing good moments, regardless of whether the person, you would categorize them as good, good uh, father or bad father. That's, that's probably irrelevant most of the time. What you do is you see certain things, and you say, um, that's a good father thing, or that's not a good father thing. Now, I would say this. I would say put things into, um, put things into context and perspective. Unless you know the, dynamic, the true core of the dynamic of that person and that family, you could misrepresent or misunderstand things as being good or bad uh, when they're the opposite. Okay? I, I've seen this personally. I know that I'm a very unique personality. Um, our family has a very unique dynamic. But we have a good dynamic, and we have a very healthy dynamic. And I've seen, very, I've seen many times over the years people from the outside of my family look into my family and think that I don't have a good dynamic because they don't know me, and they don't know my kids, and they don't know our culture. And so I'll say or do something, because I, I give my kids a hard time. I pick on them all the time, and they pick on me and everything. But it, we have a very good, healthy dynamic, a very godly dynamic. Uh, be careful when you're making that assessment into somebody else when you don't know who they are. You say, well, I would never say that to my kids. I totally respect that because that's your dynamic. But I would say that to my kids because it's my dynamic. You understand what I'm saying? Th this is important, guys, because I've seen people tear other people's lives apart. Nobody's torn my life apart because I don't care. I, I mean, I, I'm serious about that. It took me a while to get there, but I realized... The only way that I can truly parent the way that God's called me to parent is if I don't care what other people think. That's the only possible way I can do it. But sometimes people do care more than they should, and they're listening and they're doing and it's hurting them. It's hurting their family dynamic. It's hurting their kids. One of the things that we saw early in our children's life is a lot of times, now this doesn't happen nowadays near as much, and didn't even happen as much when, I was, when our kids were little, as to when my wife was a child growing up as a pastor's kid. But a lot of times people told us what they felt like our children should be doing because as pastor's kids, they should be doing this. They should be doing this. We've had many people come and tell us over the years that our children should be the leaders in the youth group or the children's department because they're the pastor's kids. Here's the answer to that. Shut up. <laughs> you don't know. And that's not legit. That my kids, my kids are called to be kids, just like your kids are called to be kids. So, so be careful with those kind of things. Make sure that, that what you're doing, what you're seeing, and what you're analyzing, you're actually analyzing from the concept of who God is. Okay? And this is something that we don't do necessarily very good with Scripture. I want to look at five, uh, four dads, Isaac, Esau, Joseph, and David. Some good examples and some bad examples. Genesis 25, verse 24. When the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. I love that sentence. You just had a monkey. So they named him Esau. I mean, think about it. He was covered with thick hair like a fur coat. I, maybe kids are different nowadays, but I ain't seen any furry kids. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob, which really means two different things. Sometimes it means grasping his heel. <laughs> I don't, that, that seems a little silly. But, but the other name that it means is he cheated, he, he cheated uh, in the context of in birth. He cheated in birth. In other words, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't born like a regular kid. He held on to Esau and was pulled out by Esau. 
He cheated. That's literally what that, that his name means. Okay? Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. As they grew up, now this, this, is, this sentence, this is an indictment. This scripture is a, not a good scripture. As the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful, hunt, a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home, but Rebekah loved Jacob. That's not a good sentence. Okay? Now, we, we've had these discussions. We give Linda a hard time. Our whole family does. We give Linda a hard time that Isaac is her favorite. And, um, and now that we have um, daughter-in-laws, two daughter-in-laws, they also have recognized this reality in our family. Um, we give Linda a hard time about it, but they're, it's not totally not true, but here's the reality of it. Isaac was born extremely premature, and we were told by the doctor he probably wasn't going to live. And so that has a tendency to do something to you in your heart and your mind. Your psyche changes when something like that happens. And then they wheel Isaac in in this little uh, mobile neonatal pre, I don't know, thing. So those are all words I heard at that time. So they, they roll him in, and, and Linda is, had just had C-section. He's laying there in the bed, and they're going to take him to Shreveport, Louisiana, to a uh, specialist down there. And so Linda reaches into the bed and, and touches Isaac and says goodbye to him, thinking that there's a really good chance that he, she's never going to see him again. That does something to you. That messes with you. And every single year on Isaac's birthday, he has a scar right here where they did a pneumothorax. Uh, every single year on Isaac's birthday, uh, Linda makes sure she raises Isaac's shirt up, and she points to that scar, and she says, remember, this is where Jesus touched you. Okay? So it appears to the rest of us that she likes Isaac the best. But that's not really necessarily the case. It's how the connection or the, I have to take care of this child, I have to do things, and there is that thing that's going on. I really don't, and, and I've heard many parents discuss this, they're all joking, but I really think about this a lot when parents discuss this. Can you, can you love one child more than the other? I, I really struggle with that mentality. I guess there could be a, maybe a legitimate argument that says you could like one of your children or like hanging out with them more than the others, but I don't even have that within my understanding. I, I like all three of my children the same, and I... I, I I want to be with them all. If I have a choice, I want them all there. I don't, I don't want to pick one out and say, okay, I'd like to hang out with you for a while. I want them all there. If I get the opportunity to hang out with one of them, I will take that. But I, I don't understand how a parent would like one child over another child. It doesn't, it doesn't connect. Now, now, if you say, well, that's the way it is for us. You haven't met my children. Okay, I, I will, I'll go there with you. All right, Maybe. Maybe if I met your kids, I'd be like, okay, now I get it. I understand uh, what you're saying. But I, I just, to me, there, I, I really wish we had had 10 kids. I really wish we would have. <laughs> just for the dynamic, just for the children, just for the, the sake of the opportunity to, there's something about that. The greatest thing that has ever happened to Lynn and I is our kids. She'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. The greatest thing I could get, I could do whatever society says would be the coolest thing. I could build rockets and send them to Mars. And I still think having, having children is the coolest thing that will ever happen. 
I love my kids. I love, I love everything, most things about them. <laughs> and, and here's the thing, guys. The reason I read this sentence to you is because Esau and Jacob had very different lives, mentalities, attitudes about life, and lifestyles. And I believe these sentences like this, all through Scripture, by the way, I'm just picking four people this morning, but all through Scripture mess with our children when we have sentences like this. That they did this, they did this. It messes with our kids. See, I think part of the reason that Rebecca was so favorable to Jacob and did a bunch of manipulative, lying, deceitful stuff in favor of um, Jacob is because um, Isaac was favoring Esau. I've seen this too many, more times I can count. I've seen this where one parent is very favorable to one child, so the other parent feels like they have to make up the difference with that one, the other one. This is, this is harmful stuff. This is negative stuff. And, and oftentimes I've also found the, the reason that these things happen is because we're not having good, healthy relationship communication between mom and dad. We're not having good, healthy communication relationship between children and parent, parent to children, and, and it just can, continues to flow out from that. We don't know how to say things. We don't know how to do things. We don't know how to interact with our kids the way that God wants us to. I heard a great statement a couple weeks ago, which is actually the motivation for this entire message. Um, the person said, I don't want to just manage my family or children. I, I want to lead my family. And I thought, that's the greatest thing I think a father could ever say. Because guys, starting in the Garden of Eden, when Adam sat, sat there and let Eve step in between Adam and Satan, and Eve take the the brunt of this, the fall of this, the responsibility of, of the garden and everything else. God had not given the responsibility of the garden to Eve. She was the helpmate of Adam. God had specifically said to Adam, you're in charge of the garden. He did not take that responsibility, and he let Eve run the show there. And this, by the way, this is, I'm not saying that Eve was out of line. There were, there were potential for some of that, but Adam didn't do what he was supposed to. And guys, this is the number one thing that I see plaguing fathers always, 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 always plaguing fathers, is they'll let mom do all the stuff instead of them taking the responsibility and do the things that they're supposed to do. Dad, take responsibility. Lead your family. Do not just be. Because what you're going to do is you're going to force your, your spouse into a situation that is uncomfortable for her, not natural for her, not the way God designed her, and it's going to hinder you, it's going to hinder your relationship, it's going to hinder your marriage, it's going to hinder her, and it's going to hinder your children. Dad, you got to lead, you got to be the man, you got to step up, and, and it's not always that easy. In fact, it's not easy. It's so much easier to, to let mom do it. And I've even seen it where guys live near enough to their, to their uh, parents that they let their parents do it. Guys, come on, Scripture says you're supposed to leave mom and dad. And, 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 and cleave to your wife. Be men. Lead. Lead. Look at this. Genesis chapter 33, <clears throat> verse 1. So what happens? Jacob deceives uh, dad and gets the, um, the uh, birthright. Right? In, in fact, it says that, um, that Esau came in. To, remember, Esau is a hairy dude. The way they tricked him is they wrapped goat skins, hairy goat skins around Jacob, and Isaac felt his arm and said, oh, that's Esau. 
Think about that. Esau felt like a goat. That's how they deceived him, right? So Jacob deceives Jacob and Rebekah. And I, when I read the story, I don't even know for sure if Jacob would have done this without mom pushing him. Read it yourself. Mom convinces Jacob, we're going to trick dad. Dad's going to bless you. Esau comes in later. Uh, Isaac's already blessed Jacob. And this is one of the things that, guys, this is, we do not have this in our cultural context. I've read this before. I've preached about this before. We do not have this. Isaac blessed Jacob, and it was such a strong thing that when Esau came in later and said, Dad, what have you done? You blessed Jacob. He said, I can't change it. I'll bless you too, but I can't change this. Guys, we don't have that in American culture at all. We don't understand this blessing our children. And, and all this. But it's interesting that every time we read in the Scripture where a parent blesses the father, a parent doesn't do it, it's a father. When a father blesses the child, it always turns out that way. This is why when our kids left for college, I, we started doing this. I mean, we started doing some things early in their life. But when each one of our children left to go to, to, to college, we sat down with them and the entire family blessed them, and I specifically blessed them. I don't know how important it is. I don't know. I don't understand it all. I don't totally understand it. But I did the best I could to think to myself, God, what would you have me say to my child? And because according to Scripture, it comes true. Think about that. I don't understand the depth of that because I, I don't know anybody in American culture that's ever understood that or grown up in that context. We, we just don't have that. But the Father blessed them, and it happened. Right, So then we see later, Jacob runs away because um, it says Esau wanted to kill him. Understandably so. So then Jacob goes and he, and he gets married to a couple of sisters through also deception. How ironic. Um, finally comes back and he feels like it's time to make amends with Esau. So he's come back. I, I preached a whole series about this uh, a year or two ago. But I, I want to focus on Esau this time rather than Jacob. But so as, as Jacob's coming back and Esau's headed his way, he gets word that Esau's heading his way. Jacob sends his wives and his children out ahead, right? You've heard me talk about this. He's such a great man. Such a, you know, if Esau's going to slaughter, slaughter all them first. And so he sends his wife and his children on ahead and does all this stuff. But here's the thing. Pay attention to this because we, sometimes we miss this. Joseph was already alive at this point. Joseph was a child. Okay. Joseph's been watching Jacob, his father, all this stuff. And you know he's heard the story of Esau. There's no way he could not have heard the story. He knew his uncle had been deceived by his dad, all this other stuff. Now they're headed back to meet with Esau, and Esau comes out, okay? Genesis 33, verse 1. Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. You know Jacob was scared. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children out in front. Well, you know, he was at least that much of a man. Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. You know what he just told Joseph? You're the most important child I have. You know what he told all the other children? You're not as important as Joseph. Because you're going to get killed first. See those 400 men coming? You're, you're, hopefully they're tired by the time they get to me. That's what he told them. Now why is that important? Because these are the same guys that sold Joseph into slavery later. Okay? 
As he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, threw his arms around his neck, and kissed him, and they both wept. Both families saw Esau be a man of God. Both families saw Esau be a man of forgiveness. Joseph saw Jacob be a man of picking some children over the other, not not caring enough to try to trust God that that they weren't going to be killed by Esau. I mean, there's so much stuff. Which, by the way, uh, Jacob had had promises by God that God was going to do a lot of things with him that that, uh, Esau could not have killed him and that stuff come to pass. This was was a lack of faith in God first and, and then a lack of faith in Esau second. And so we see all this stuff going on. And all of these people, all of Esau's family are watching this. All of Jacob's family are watching this. Joseph saw Esau be a man of God. Joseph saw Esau, his uncle, uh, be a man of of, uh, grace and forgiveness. But he did not see his dad be those things. To me, all of this stuff is is important when it comes to parents and and fathers and all this stuff. So let's, let's jump down farther. Genesis 37, verse 2. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Billah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Now, I don't know, I don't know how much to pick on Joseph about this. At 17, I don't think he should be a tattletale. Right? Um, what is it? Um, snitches get stitches? Well, in this case, snitches get sold into slavery. That's what, it's a little higher up ante than what we're used to. But maybe if he's 10 and he's going and, and, and tattling on his older brothers, okay. You expect 10-year-olds to do that. But 17, shouldn't you be growing up a little bit? Shouldn't this not be? But see, part of the deal is there was a family dynamic that was extremely negative for Joseph, and had and what and had come from Jacob, which because he had been in the same dynamic in his family that was negative. His mother is the one that connived with him to to deceive Isaac, the dad. This this is a, a this is a constant down through this. <clears throat> Jacob loved Joseph more than his any uh, any of his other children. That that's not okay. Your kids will know that. And you say, well, it doesn't matter if I have a favorite. Your kids will know what the kids think is not, Dad, you you like them better. What your kids think is, Dad, you don't like me as much. That's what they hear. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. Not because he was a smart aleck 17-year-old that told on him, but because his dad loved him the most. Some of you sitting right here in this building, you know how that feels. You know how it feels to have a parent that, that likes another child better. Or a parent that, a step-parent that likes their child better. I mean, we could, we could break this down all day long and come up with scenarios. And, and some of you sitting in this room, you know what it feels like. This, this is one of the things that as a pastor, I've pastored so many people through this. And it's just something I, I, 
It's just what it is, and it's so difficult to process sometimes with people. We, we say things like, well, it doesn't matter. I, I had a lady one time that, um, that said to me, she had just got a divorce, and she said to me, my kids are young enough, it, this really won't affect them. Please, please, please don't buy into that stupidity. That's Satan messing with you, okay? That's Satan messing with your kids. Your kids will be affected by this their entire life. Talk to somebody that has never, ever met their father. Never met their father. They'll, they'll spend their entire life trying to, to, um, to gain his approval. Don't even know him. Don't even know who he is. They'll spend their entire life trying to gain his approval. I've just talked to too many people about this. Guys, th- these kind of things affect us deeply. How we, how we interact with our children, how we, how we talk to them, how we process life with them affects them deeply. Way deeper than what we ever know. Way deeper than what we know. Um, you, you see families that are, that are uh, split and then um, blended again. Not that there's, there is some legitimacy that comes along with that. In fact, um, when, when parents take on uh, stepchildren or they take on adopted children and things like that, sometimes that is actually part of the healing for life. Okay? But to assume that there's not going to be any baggage that comes with that, it's a little naive. Right? Even if it's the greatest of circumstances, there's still going to be issues. You've still got to process. Talk about it. Pray about it. Think about it. What's going on? What is God saying here? So let's, let's jump down a little bit farther. Well, probably, probably my favorite person in all of Scripture is David. I, I think David was an amazing king, amazing warrior. He, he, I think, I, I've said this before, but I really believe that if, if some Hollywood producer, not like the perverts, but the good ones, if we could get some Hollywood producer to make a movie, a really legitimate movie about King David, and maybe a series of movies like the, like the Bourne trilogy kind of thing, you could easily do that with David. And it would be better than the Bourne movies, which are, I think are amazing. Okay? Because why? David was real, and he did better and cooler things than Bourne. Cooler things than uh, 007, all 14 of them. He, and, and he was one guy. He was one guy. Read the Bible. Amazing stories. Amazing stories. Amazing warrior, all this stuff. His men literally did, would, and, and did die for him. His men would have followed him anywhere. He was, he was one of the most respected uh, kings and leaders in history, warriors in history. But he was a horrible father. Horrible father. This, this is some of the things. I have seen the same thing in society today. Now, I've seen it from my perspective from pastors. A great pastor leads a great church, great ministry for years and years and years. And, and, their, and his children hated him. I've seen that more times than I can count. Because he spent all of his time and energy on everybody else, but never on his children. I've just seen that too many times. Same thing with business. Get a great businessman that, that, that starts this amazing business, does all this other stuff, and he's had two or three wives and, and five, ten children through all these different wives, and none of them like him. Guys, at the end of the day, what good was it? What good was it? Look, look at this. So we've got Absalom, Amnon, Tamar, Tamar, Tamar. They were brothers and sisters. 
Okay? Uh, Amnon rapes his sister Tamar. Absalom finds out about it, and he starts deciding he's going to kill Amnon. Look at this. We're going we're to jump really quick through this. We're not going to get into details of a lot of stuff. 2 Samuel 13, verse 21. Talking about the rape of uh, Tamar. When King David had heard what had happened, he was very angry. That's the only sentence. That's the only thing that David ever does about his son raping his daughter. He gets angry. Who cares if you get angry, David? What are you, what are you doing? What are you going to do about this? 2 Samuel chapter 13. Absalom finally decides he's going to take revenge upon Tamar. Tamar's rape. Which, by the way, you guys understand all this stuff spiritually started with Bathsheba. Right? You understand how these things work in Scripture. We, we think this stuff doesn't matter. And, and I've had this conversation with so many people over the years. Somebody in the relationship has an affair on the other one, and whether that relationship makes it or not, or whatever the case is, you don't realize what that does spiritually to your family. That is destructive. I, I, I had a lady that came to me, this was years ago. She had come to me, and she, she was... was um, Sleeping around with this guy that was married. She wasn't married. He was married. Um, he, so he has, he's having an affair. And she's talking to me about, he said he's going to leave his wife and, and uh, do all this kind of... I said, you need, to, you need to really pay attention here. Someone that will cheat on his wife is someone that will cheat on his wife. Well, he needs to be with me, and you'll be the next one. You need to know that. That's a spiritual thing. Spiritual way more than physical. And, and we don't think about this stuff. We just, it's just flippant. Absalom's going to take revenge. And so he, um, he kills Amnon, lures him out with all the brothers, all his brothers, he had a bunch of brothers, David had a bunch of wives, all this kind of stuff, which is also part of the problem. But, so, so he comes out and he kills Amnon. Verse 32 of 2 Samuel 13. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother, Shimei, arrived and said, no, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. David, all your sons are not dead, just one. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting against this since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord, the king, your sons are not, aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. What did David do? Nothing. He did nothing. This... This is, this is worse than, uh, what are those old TV shows back in the 70s, 80s, um, Days of Our Lives, stuff like that? Soap operas. This is, this is worse than any soap opera you could come up with. Do those things still exist? Are there still soap operas? Are there? Do some, do, who watches them? Raise your hand. <laughs> this, this is horrible, guys. And David, David never, he never steps up. He never steps up. 2 Samuel 15. Absalom finally comes back. He'd been sent away. Not sent away, he just ran away. And David said, okay, then I don't want to talk to him. That's the best you can do, David. So finally somebody convinces David to bring Absalom back. So Absalom comes back and he decides he's going to take David's kingdom from him. 2 Samuel 15, verse 1. After this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses and he hired 50 guards to run ahead of them. That's very important that, that you know that Absalom does that, okay? Because other people are paying attention. 
He got up early every morning, went out to the gates of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from, and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've got a really strong case here. Isn't it too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it? I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment, and I would bring them justice. Eventually, he takes the kingdom away from David. You know what David does? He runs away. Doesn't stand for his own kingdom. Some of his warriors left him at that point. They're like, we can't do this anymore. Some still stood with him. But why would you just let somebody take your kingdom? Who gave David that kingdom? God. Think back to the story of him and Saul and all the stuff that God took David through and said, David, I'm the one who gave you this kingdom. This kingdom is yours according to my timelines, not according to yours. You can't take Saul out, in other words. This kingdom is part of my times. Unless your son tries to take it subvertly underneath your feet, and then you, then you just let it go. These are, these are much bigger issues sometimes than we're thinking as we're just going through. Absalom takes his kingdom and then eventually dies because of it, but David didn't do it. David didn't have anything to do with any of this. So now let's go down to 1 Kings chapter 5. David has another son called Adonijah. All right? See, see um, Absalom disrespected David constantly. The reason that you... That, that you could kill one of his sons because you disrespected him. Why did, why did Amnon, Amnon feel free enough to rape Tamar? Because he disrespected David. None of David's kids respect him that we could see anywhere in any of these stories. Anywhere. The, the closest that we can maybe get is Solomon. But if you read all of Solomon's stuff, sometimes Solomon picks on David pretty hard. We see where they do not respect it. Absalom took his kingdom. He didn't respect David. About that time, David's son Adonijah whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariots and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Where did he learn that from? Absalom. He disrespects David just as much as Absalom does. He's like, Absalom did it, and he actually got the kingdom, and then he ran and got hung, and so I can do this. I can do this better than Absalom. Doesn't even respect his brother either. Now, his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom, and he was very handsome. Now, here's, here's the thing with this, and he ends up uh, dying, too. He ends up running, and his, and his beautiful hair gets caught in a tree. Where's Josh? Where's Josh? I think I may have part of the story wrong, but... I think Sawyer came up to his mother this week and said, Mommy, I hope you grow your hair long like Daddy. <laughs> Am I close enough? Okay. I wish your hair was as pretty as... We had a staff meeting one time, and, and, um, and Tara said, Man, I wish my hair was pretty like Josh's. <laughs> all right. Here's the thing with all of this. Here's the thing with all of this. David had never disciplined any of his children. That's why they didn't respect him. David had never stood up to any of his children. He never, he never led his children. That's why they disrespected him. Never, never had there come a time when, when David was a father to these children. He was a warrior and a leader to the people of Israel, and an amazing one. That's the dichotomy that's just weird sometimes. But he never led his children. Never disciplined his children. He never took them toward God. This is, 
guys, this is, for us as dads, this is huge. I, I, again, I think, I think the, the, an extremely powerful statement is, I want to lead my family. Not manage. Guys, we can manage all day long, but you need to lead your family. How are some ways you lead your family? In prayer. Dads, your children need to hear you pray. Hear your boys praying. Not just sitting in a circle with the, their heads bowed. But they, dads, they need to hear your voice going to your God. Dads, they need to know that, your, that God's Scripture is your plan for life. They need to see you get into God's Scripture. They need to hear you processing God's Word to them. Don't take this stuff for granted. Three basic things. One, serve God completely. Completely, 100%. Your children will know it. Your children will know it better than anybody. I, I, I did this one time as a youth pastor. I got up in the adult service. I was speaking. And I said, I asked all of the youth uh, to write down all the things that their parents um, don't do right at home. Now, I didn't ask the kids this, okay? I just was setting the parents up. I said, I had all the teenagers write down all the things that they see mom and dad do that they know are not godly. And I want to read some of these lists. I thought parents were going to run out of that room. I could see, and, and part of the reason, my, my motive was a little bit wrong. I had a little bit more rebellion back in those days. But some of those parents really didn't like me. I was staring at them when I read it. Looking right, I'm just like, my kids are about to read this. And, we're up, we're at the, we, we, and, the, and the parents were like, You know, uh, parents, you know, kids know you. You may think you can hide it, but kids know you. Serve God completely, they know it. The second thing, love your children to the Lord. Love your children to God. Don't just love your kids. The same thing with how we say we love the lost. We love the lost, but we don't tell them about sin. We don't tell them about Jesus. We don't tell them about the, but then you don't really love the lost. Love your children to God, not to yourself. God will love them to you. You love them to God. Don't, don't worry about all that other stuff. You know, you hear parents, you're not supposed to be friends to your children. I'm very much friends to my children. I, I am very good friends with my children. But I never compromise being dad and being the disciplinarian and everything else in the process of that. You can do both. But, but love your children to God. Love them with discipline, all this other stuff. Okay, so and then the last one is lead your entire family biblically. Lead your spouse, lead your children, scripture, prayer, worshiping together. Do, do your kids, dads, do your kids see you worship? Do they know what it is for you to worship? Do they know how you worship? Have they heard you worship God? Think about that. Now, this isn't as much nowadays, but years ago, dads back in the day used to never sing in church. Men didn't sing in church when I was young. I never really saw that. It was, it was kind of a cultural thing. Um, dads, make sure you're... Make sure you're Children see you worship God and sing. You say, well, I can't sing good. They'll enjoy that too. <laughs> Just let it be. All right, so I always ask a few handful of guys in church, what do you want to, what do you, if we could give gifts away, what do you want? And they always come back to the screwdrivers. We really like the screwdrivers. So this year I added some stuff. Now, I know some of you have been sitting there eyeing that um, great stuff, that foamy, expandy stuff. You're like, I need that. I really need that. I had an old van years ago that would get rickety and make noise and rattle and all this kind of stuff, and I'd pull a screw out of the sidewall and stick that stuff in there and just fill it up and put the screw back. 
Pretty soon that van didn't make one sound. It also didn't twist when we hit bumps. It was just like, you know, just one big piece of foam. <laughs> it's quiet, though. You couldn't hear anything outside inside. But um, so we got gifts. We got the stuff. And, guys, it's just a way that we say, hey, take something fun, enjoy. Uh, my wife did ask for one of these hammers, um, but she can't have one. Why? She's not a dad. So, dads, we'd like you to stand. Oh, and by the way, there are enough for you to have two. Sam, let everybody else get some first. <laughs> so everybody stand if you, I mean, dads, not everybody. Dads, stand with us if you would. And uh, we're going to ask you to come up front and grab whatever you like. Take your time. Come on, dads. No, don't go sit down. Don't go sit down. Stay up here. We want to stare at you. guys spread across the middle some so these guys can all get in here. Some of you guys can come stand up here with me if you want. all the dads? Do I see more dads? Mike stares back there. Angie, is that your dad back there? Man, what are you doing sitting? Come here. We're not letting you out of this. This is the, this is the reward you get for being Angie's father. You get a screwdriver. Oh, yeah, Mike, you got to join us, too. You can run the sound booth from up here. Come on, Mike. We're, we're nobody's moving until you come up here, Mike. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mention this every now and then, but um, these guys go through more than you could possibly ever imagine. And I would say even more so with fathers with daughters. Am I right, guys? If you have both, boys and girls, you know what I'm saying. There's, a, there's something else about having a daughter that you just like, you'll kill people. You'll, you'll do things. So um, we respect you guys. We know that it's never easy. We know you make mistakes, but God be with you and he will. And so we want to pray for you. So everybody else stand up and we're going to pray for these dads. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to thank God for them. And for you guys that your dads are not here, uh, thank God for them. Thank God for them. Whether they're somewhere else on the planet or in heaven, thank God for them. Okay. 
And then we're going to ask him to give him wisdom because they're still working through it, still trying to figure it out. From the very oldest father, like Perry, to the very youngest, they're still working through it. So we want to pray. God, we thank you. I thank you for these men. Lord, I thank you for these dads. God, many of these guys across the front here are examples to me. God, my own father standing here. I thank you for my dad. Lord, we're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to figure out fathering. Still trying to figure out how to get along with the children's mother. God, we ask you to bless us in all these different things. Give us wisdom on how to parent little children, how to parent adult children, how to parent grandchildren. God, give these guys wisdom. And Lord, I just pray specifically that if they, if they look back over time and they feel guilty, Lord, bring grace and forgiveness and, and help them to, to move away from guilt, to move away from condemnation, and just to move toward grace. God, help us to be men of grace. Help these fathers be men of discipline, specifically for their younger children. Help them to be fathers of discipline. God, we thank you. We thank you for the great honor of being a dad, the greatest honor on the planet. Lord, we give all glory to you. Help them have a great Father's Day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give them a round. All right, guys, um, take all your family out for dinner and pay for it. That's also what you get to do as a dad. Happy Father's Day to you. You get to buy lunch. <laughs> Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you a chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Take the opportunity. God will honor that in your life. Shake somebody's hand. Have a good rest of your day. Happy Father's Day. Oh